Welcome back to We Built an Empire. I'm your host, Kyle Wolf. In today's episode, we talk to a commander of a drug task force unit about the impact of fentanyl in Colorado communities. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of We Built an Empire. Appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. This is our uh, first show in our live session studio. A really good friend of mine, uh, Joey, is on board. Um, due to the nature of his job and environment, we are going to be doing a different uh, filming strategy. So we'll just keep it at that. Um, Joey, thank you so much for being on, man. It's really oh, good to have having you. me. Yeah, excited yeah. to be here. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. I think we had a lot less grays in yeah, our beards. <laughs> way a lot less. Uh, well, man, I'm so happy that you're here. I, uh, you know, I wanted to have you you come on specifically to talk about some things. You know, we were in a conference. Seems like a couple of months ago now. Um, you were there and um, kind of just got the chance to step back and hear what you had to say. Um, that that meeting specifically was was about awareness of fentanyl um, all over the county. Um, and in the state. And so I wanted to have you come on and talk about that. And I do want to hear obviously some of your backstory, cause I don't know if we've seen each other in 15 years prior to that <laughs> conference, but, um, you know, I'm just happy to have you on because I do think that, um, you know, the topic around, uh, especially like fentanyl awareness, um, or the lack thereof is huge, you know, um, in our local community and it's literally, um, you know, it's killing people. And so, I'm really happy to have you on, but you know, so why don't, why don't we go ahead, if, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of your, your backstory, kind of the two minute skinny, um, and then we'll deep dive into it and kind of come back, come back around to the fentanyl topic, which is, you know, I want to drill into that as heavy as I can, but I want to give people some context about what it is that you do, um, as much of it as you can talk about. Um, if you can't, no worries. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I started in law enforcement back in 09, uh, worked the jail, worked patrol, uh, worked some SWAT. I've been an instructor in a lot of stuff. Um, I had the opportunity to move over to the drug task force a few years ago where I was made the drug unit commander. Um, and that's from a day to day basis. Now we have several different agencies involved in that task force. I supervise all of them. Um, and our, our mission is to go after the actual traffickers that are bringing all this stuff into the communities. So, um, it's, it's changed a lot just in the last few years from when I was there, as far as drugs are fentanyl was just kind of starting when I went to the drug task force. Um, and it's, man, it's blown up a lot. It's kind of the, the major threat right now in the, uh, in the U S really. And, uh, it's, it's getting pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and family that live and breathe in the medical industry, um, you know, whether they're EMTs or doctors or whatever it is. And, you know, we've, we've always heard the word fentanyl, you know, I mean, it's still used and was always widely used. I mean, the worst case scenario you'd hear is about, you know, a, a drug addict nurse or something that had, you know, had an addiction and took mm -hmm. a patch or something. But, um, so when it started to become more of a prevalent conversation, I think with people, um, it didn't really click at first with me. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of people have that same situation, but you know, for me, it was, you know, you hear the word fentanyl, and then it's like, well, now we're finding it mixed or laced with other things. And it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's killing people or it's harming people or, you know, forever altering their way of life. And so, um, you know, when, when I got the chance to sit and hear you talk about it, uh, that was 
pretty interesting to me because I have two younger children and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of sad from time to time uh, when you start to kind of look at, you know, the way that we were raised or we, we grew up and like at this Halloween, we got done, we had to dump out all the candy on the, on the countertop, you know, and we're going through anything that could like potentially have been opened, you know, and like throwing it away. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm sitting there doing this, you know, kind of to protect my children. And, and at the same time, I'm thinking like, you know, this is, this is fucking horrible that we're having to do this, um, to protect our kids. Right. Because you just never know. And, and it's just something like, you know, when I reached out and I was like, man, I, I want, I want somebody who knows this, who lives and breathes this specific thing day in and day out to come in and talk to people. Um, so that way that we can kind of get this message out there. Cause I, I still think that there's a lot of people that they may know, cause it's a very buzzword, you know, fentanyl. Um, but I think that there's such a severity with it, you know? And, um, you know, I was just talking to a friend the other day and, uh, you know, the two, two girls, I'm not sure if both of them passed away, but I, they were two sisters at, at, uh, you know, a local school here. And unfortunately, um, they, I don't know that if it's been proven or not, but at least what the, what the paper was saying is that, you know, there was some, some potential like drug use and one of them did pass away. And so it's like, you know, it's like almost like you can't, you know, not, I'm not condoning what I'm about to say, but it's like, there's a lot of people that when they, when they get out of, you know, the wings or the arms of their parents and they go to school and they go to colleges or whatever, um, you know, maybe they never partied a day in their life, but when they get to there, it's kind of like, they're, they're trying to like figure out who they are Mm -hmm. outside of their parents. And it's almost like you can't ever do that. Like there, that's just not acceptable anymore. Like you can't just go experiment, you know, with, with something or, you know, some party favor, let's just call it that you can't, there's just, it's, it's, you're, you're now you're playing with life or death and that's a huge fucking gamble. Well, and that's, that's one of the things like I've been trying to go into schools um, and, and reach out to that younger crowd a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause you're right. Like back in the day, man, like there was that experimental phase and I'm not going to say it was safe, but it wasn't a life or death situation every night. And now you, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell these kids, parents, like just keep an eye on your kids. And for the kids, they need to know what's out there. Um, they lack the life experience to really know what they're getting into. Um, and we've seen a huge increase in juvenile overdoses over the last two years. Um, that's been fatal, non-fatal, and it's just across the board. And there's, there's some accidental ones too. People don't know what they're getting into. One of the biggest threats with fentanyl is, you know, these, the kids are going out and they think they're getting Percocets or they're getting Oxys or they're getting a counterfeit pill mm-hmm. that's actually got fentanyl in it. And you don't know how much is in each pill. Some of those pills, we send them off to the labs, they come back with trace amounts of fentanyl in them. And then some of them come back with seven to eight milligrams of fentanyl in them. And it takes about two milligrams of fentanyl to be fatal for somebody that hasn't built up a tolerance. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's scary. And, you know, the, the pill manufacturers are making these, these counterfeit pills. They're targeting youth. They're targeting the juveniles. Um, through their, their marketing strategies, the types of pills they're making, they're making colorful pills, rainbow pills. Mm. And that's who they're, they're targeting. Yeah. Uh, that's jacked up. It's what, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrific. I mean, if you really think about it, um, you know, that, that makes me think about something is that, I mean, I don't really quite know how I want to say this, but you know, so if, if you're targeting the youth, I mean, is, is your goal, like if, if you were these drug traffickers or these pill manufacturers, is your goal to 
you know, harm your end user, right? Your uh, quote unquote, your client, let's just call it that. If you kill your client, they can't come back and spend more money. So it's like, in my head, it's like, you know, when you guys are sending off, like maybe in these large seizures, um, you know, if you send off a thousand pills, is there one or 10 or a hundred that are, that are over? I mean, like what have you, have you guys kind of found out what that ratio is or is it just. It, it really depends on the actual seizure itself. Um, I think I saw a stat DEA reported like one out of every 10 pills. Jesus. Is potentially a fatal. Um, so it's, you know, when there, there's stuff all over the internet, you can watch the cartels in their factories making all this stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no science behind how they're doing it. There's no quality control. Yeah. It's not a pharmaceutical company to where it gets pressed out, it gets tested, tested again. And, you know, it gets tested a hundred times before it gets sent out the door for an actual consumer. It's not getting tested. Um, the only way to know how much fentanyl is in one of those pills is it has to go to an actual lab. Yeah. I have super expensive equipment that I work with every day. It doesn't tell me how much fentanyl is in a pill. This tells me if there is some or isn't. Mm. Um, and man, I'll, we got people reporting that they're, they're using like 50 to a hundred pills a day. They're u- like using, like using, fent- using uh, yeah. like a, a non-lethal amount of fentanyl. They're like just 50 using, they, they don't know. They're just using 50 to a hundred pills a day. Um, that's what they're saying. I don't yeah. know the truth behind that. But I've talked to a lot of people that reported that. Yeah. These same people are reporting that they have overdosed five to 10 times in a year. Jesus. So um, they're not learning from it, obviously. Sure. You know, we have people that are, their their friends die one week and they die the next week. Um, it's not having a huge impact on their life to make them change their ways. And that's how powerful that drug is. That's how addictive that drug is. Yeah. Is it is it similar? I mean, I know it's obviously an opiate, but is it... Um, is it similar in the vein of like heroin as far as the, the addictive nature? Um, cause I think, you know, historically I think heroin was always one of the ones that was talked about. It's like, you know, you do it once and it's like, there's a solid chance that you're going to do it again yep. just because it's so addictive. Is yeah. it similar to that? I think that's definitely one of those ones that once and you're not everybody, yeah. everybody's bodies are built a little different, Sure, but you know, first, second time you're probably going to end up being addicted. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a, uh, and you know, there's, there's always going to be new drugs that come down the road Yeah, that take out fentanyl, you know, um, in the Southwest U S area, there's not a whole lot of heroin right now. Fentanyl kind of pushed all the heroin out. Yeah. It's cheaper. It's easier to get. Um, and that's it. And it's stronger. Mm-hmm. That's what people are looking for. Uh, East coast, there's still quite a bit of heroin out there, Yeah, but the fentanyl hasn't caught up the same way that it kind of has with us. We're, you know, Southwest U.S., pretty close to the border area, mm-hmm. and a lot of that's pushing up from the border. Um, so it, those northern states, I talked to a guy in Montana, oh, two months ago, and fentanyl's not a problem for him up there. Yeah, not you yet. Know? Yeah, it will. It's just got to catch up. But yeah. by the time it catches up up there, we're going to be into a new drug probably. So why, why, what's the, what's the reason between like cutting it with everything? Like why, you know, why are you finding fentanyl and cocaine? Why are we finding it in like, what's the point of, I mean, I understand, you know, like the, the old eighties movies where they, you know, they take bacon powder and they cut cocaine and stuff. Like yeah. we get that right. We were talking about weight, but I mean, it still seems like to me, it'd be cheaper to cut cocaine with baby powder. 
versus putting it or mixing it with fentanyl? Is it to give people a more addictive high to come back again? Or like, what are they trying to get it into the States? Because like, what, what's the reason of cutting it with all it's, these other drugs? You know, a, a lot of those drugs that are cut with fentanyl, the user doesn't know it's cut. Yeah. So now you're expanding your user base. You know, people are starting to use that drug now. They're now addicted to that drug instead of the cocaine that they were addicted to. Gotcha. Um, some people are mixing meth and fentanyl together. I can't really figure that out. I mean, they have completely opposite effects. <laughs> I talked to one dude and he yeah. was like, oh, it's going to balance each other out. Like if I do too much fentanyl, the meth is going to balance. And I'm like, that's not really how it works, bro. Like, yeah. so I don't know what the, the deal is with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to expand the market. It just seems ridiculous, man. I mean, the, just the fact that, you know, I think some of those at that conference, you had a couple of videos that you brought up and I mean, going back to your comment a second ago where it's not regulated, you know, I mean, if they were mixing in like a, an, you know, a rusted 50 gallon barrel and like all wearing masks. And it was, you know, the classic, like, uh, you know, like distorting the voice of the guy, you know, <laughs> so they, yeah. they, uh, you know yeah. so we didn't know who they were, but, uh, you know, um, I mean, the fact that they're doing it like that, I mean, it, it, you know, not to say that cocaine or something else is manufactured any differently, um, but to kind of really see it right in front of you, it was like, God, that's, you know, that's intense, you know, and the, you know, some of those stills that you showed was like, it was like an ibuprofen or an, you know, something along those lines. And it was like, I mean, you know, next to each other and you're going B is clearly it. It's like, okay, I could follow that. But to the naked eye, when you dump five in a hand and just, you know, uh, expect to be taking ibuprofen, like you, there's no way you'd be able to tell, you yeah. know? And, um, that just, yeah, that's intense, man. I, uh, I, I, I was thinking about this, trying to kind of prep for this interview and, you know, I struggle. Um, we've had quite a few people in, in the local town that, that I live in, um, you know, that have passed away primarily from heroin overdoses. And, and you you said something a second ago, it's like their buddy died yesterday, they died today. And it doesn't have this like ripple effect impact on the community. And that's what I just don't, I don't understand. Um, you know, for me having young children, like I, I'm a firm believer that the, at least at the very minimum, like to, in hopes to resolve it or it hopes to make sure that it never happens as best to your ability is started at the house. And I'm not saying that all of my, these folks that I was close with that, you know, that did uh, ultimately succumb to, to heroin overdose and die, um, maybe were raised improperly, but it, it, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around why the addiction is there in the first place, because, you know, it's like, you know, these people for years and, you know, maybe they're a fuck up, you know, for lack of better terms, or they did something bad, but it's like, why go to the drug? And so when you see some person die, you know, I've had a lot of people be like, well, you know, it should, that, you know, that should have impacted you or, or it would have been great if you would have been able to be there. And it's like, how is it one person's job to protect another person? Right. Like they, they've got a, they've got to step up, you know, like, I mean, I just think about my son, he's 10 years old, you know? So here in a few years, it's coming real quick. Once he's out on his own, his, his friends are not going to be there to like, to protect him. And it's not their job, you know, but it is my job, at least at this point to say, you know, Hey, here, here's the potential problems, um, you know, be aware of them. And it stinks as a father to kind of have to do that because I don't know if I ever, I still probably have never had a conversation with my parents about drugs ever, but now you have to. It's like, we're just, the times are changing and we're going to talk about this. We're going to sit down and it's going to, it could be, you know, watching a, 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 a film that's a little bit more gruesome for a 10 year old, but it's the reality that we live in. 
and it's kind of unfortunate, but, um, yeah, I don't understand that ripple effect, man. Have you, have you seen any studies as to why that doesn't impact the local community? You know? So there's a lot of people, you kind of touched on it a little bit. There's something that led that person to use drugs, Mm -hmm. whatever that drug is, something led them to use that drug. They didn't wake up one day and say, man, I want to be addicted to heroin. Um, and people don't realize that a lot of people in the communities look at a drug overdose and instead of being like, man, that's too bad. Like what's going on in that kid's life? They say, you know, you know what? He wasn't a contributor to this society. We're in a better place now. We don't have to worry about him. Like, and that's the wrong way to look at it. A ton of people look at it that way though. Yeah. So, you know, if you got a little compassion behind these overdoses and like I said, look at, you know, was it their childhood? What happened to them when they were young that made them do that? Um, was there an injury? They couldn't get their script anymore. Was that what led them to this? But there's, you know, looking at what's left behind too. Mm-hmm. People don't think about the family that was left behind from that overdose. They just look at another dirt bag gone. Yeah. Um, and we got to kind of change that perception, kind of wrap our heads around this a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one yet. I've, I've felt a little bit of both sides of that where, you know, it's like the the first friend that I lost was a good friend and he was a roommate for a long time and he passed away. It was unfortunate. Um, and it kind of hit, it had, it had pretty decent impact. I would say to the local community. It was like, was he not as straight and narrow as some people? Absolutely. I don't think anybody would ever argue that or question that, but it did impact the, the, the community in a way. And then it was like another really good friend passes and all of a sudden it just starts to become commonplace in a weird way. And you're like, why is this happening? Like what's, you know, what's going on? And it's like, I talked to a, a, a county commissioner the other day and, and we went on to a pretty good conversation about mental health and trying to get some things going in that vein. Um, but I've, I've felt both sides of that to where it's like the compassion is there. And then it's like, it seemed to like fade really quickly because then a year later, another guy died. And then a year, it was like five years in a row. It was like death, 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 death. And it's just like, and they're all, they were all part of the same like group and not all doing the same drug at the same time. It was like one of them was doing it. And others were like, oh, I don't, you know, it's not for me, you know? And then it's like, well, all right, if, if your good friend passed away, why the hell would you ever pick up a needle or whatever the, you know, the means of, uh, you know, getting the, the drug are like, why would you ever take that step? And that's, you know, so your comment about, you know, what's really, what's going on kind of behind closed doors in my head. It's like, you know, and it, but it's, it's hard to kind of be that way all the time. It's hard to mm-hmm. constantly be the giving to another person or anybody, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't want to say that I, I'm selfish, but it's like, sometimes you just get blinders on, you know, and you're, you're dealing with your kids and you're going to freaking soccer practice and, you know, you're making dinners and all this stuff and, and life is just blowing by. And then the next thing, you know, bring phone rings. Hey, so-and-so passed away. Mm-hmm. He took a, you know, an Adderall laced with fentanyl, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that we could all, uh, kind of take away from what you just said and have a bit more compassion and, and continue to be that way. Not just three, four, you know, weeks, one month after somebody passes away. It's like, let's just all, make sure that we're all okay. You know? Yeah. So, well, especially those, um, those anniversary dates. Yeah. You know, like you're talking about the, somebody dies, 
there's two weeks, three weeks where everybody's just all around you, seeing how you are, you okay, what's going on, what do you need? Um, and that fades out, and then you hit that one-year mark, and maybe that two-year mark. You know, you got to check in on those people still, yeah. see how they're doing. That's happened. I've known people that have overdosed on the anniversary that their brother overdosed on, mm. you know? Um, I, I don't know if anybody was checking in on them or not, yeah. you know, but I, somebody probably should have been, Sure, you know? Um, Chances are not, you know? Yeah, I they mean, kind of forget about it. Yeah. So... Um, it's just, you know, getting everybody behind and honestly, I don't know what the answer is, you know, to, to fix this. I think we're, we're really far behind right now. And if we do fix this problem, it's going to take a lot of years. Um, I think what our generation has done is really set up our children for failure. Um, they got a long road ahead of them to battle this drug war. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe our parents did the same thing to us. I don't know. But, um, Everybody's kind of got to work together on this to to fix it. Yeah. What's um you know what are what are your thoughts around you know I think uh, Colorado just uh, legalized you know essentially psilocybin mushrooms and probably for more therapy you know you probably can't be rolling around with a pound of mushrooms and <laughs> distributing yeah. it well <laughs> but uh, um you know what are, what are your thoughts is it you know have you seen any studies is there any conversation around that kind of stuff being a gateway. I mean, cause that was like the, you know, dare uh, thing it was like, don't smoke pot. You yeah. It's a gateway. You know, it was like, <laughs> I mean, you know, not trying to, you know, commit myself to crime here, but it's like, I've, I've smoked marijuana and I've never done heroin. Right. You know, I've never done fentanyl. And so I don't know that it's a gateway. So what's your thoughts on the situation with the mushrooms? Is there any talks around that being a, I haven't seen anything on it yet and I haven't read the statutes on it yet. Mm. Um, it opens the door for more experimenting, you know, like people talk about is marijuana gateway drug. Mm -hmm. No, I, I mean, that's, that's a personal opinion thing. Like, I don't really sure. think it is, Yeah, but it does open that door for experimenting. Sure. Of like, okay, this one's okay. Now I'm going to try this one and maybe it progresses. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said, yeah, it started at weed and I felt good with it. So I was going to experiment and yep. here I am now sitting in jail talking to you, you know? Um, but like you said, I know a ton of people. I, I smoked weed in high school. Like, yeah. I, you know, I never did hard drugs. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it wasn't it a gateway drug for me. It seemed like so. a massive leap, like jumping the damn, you know, Grand Canyon. It wasn't like a, well, I've done this before. Might as yeah. well. You know, like, no thanks. Yeah. I'm good. I think a lot of it's, you know, who are you hanging out with? Sure. You know, peer pressure is um, middle schoolers, mm -hmm. high schoolers. Peer pressure is a bitch, man. Yeah. Yep. Um, but peer pressure goes both ways. You know, you I could pressure you into doing something bad, mm -hmm. but you could probably pressure me into actually doing something good. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think people look at it that way. They think of peer pressure more of just a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, it's who you surround your friends with. Yeah. Um, you know, that we'll see where, where the, the shrooms and stuff go. Uh, it's going to change. You know, every time something gets legalized, um, the laws change yeah. over the following years because people figure out loopholes in the, yeah, the statutes sure. and they got to seal those up. And so it's kind of a experimental phase right now, as far as I'm concerned. So we'll, we'll see next year kind of where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it's so, it seems like it's been so long ago since marijuana was legalized. I can't remember, you know, we probably voted it in and then three years later we figured out so much way to control it. You know, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the wild, wild west, you know, <laughs> like I think I saw a documentary on Netflix. It was like, 
uh, well, it was, it, I don't know if it was a real documentary, but there was a couple that had a place in Boulder or one of those mountain towns. And like they had a place on the downtown main street and like the community was against it. They got legalized and then they got voted out and had to go. And so they were, they were making like, you know, a million and a half a month. Yeah. And then they had to go like to the <laughs> outskirts. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the commercial district and they're like, our business was cut by, you know, down to an eighth. I was like, oh, shucks. You know, you're yeah. selling a drug. You're still making a shit ton of money. Yeah, they're, you know? they're still are today. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's funny. Um, so, so let's, let's, let's take a step back for a little bit. How did you, uh, you know, cause we, we obviously know each other. We have some, some history in the past. Um, but you know, how did you, how did you get into law enforcement? Cause I, I didn't, uh, I mean, when we kind of parted ways probably been 15 years ago or so, I would say, um, yeah. uh, you know, and, and everybody's lives kind of seem to go this way and that way. But so what, what led you into law enforcement? So when I was a kid, I actually had law enforcement around me growing up. Um, my parents, friends and their friends, you know, they, there was always cops around me. Mm. So it was always something that kind of sparked my interest. And then, uh, you know, got out of high school. I was too young. You got to be 21. So did some other jobs there. And, um, I got 22. Finally, I, uh, ended up one day just being like, all right, I need to tired of swinging a hammer. I'm tired of working retail. I'm ready to do something different. Um, and so I ended up going to the Academy and kind of just followed my, my childhood dream. Yeah. So, so what, uh, I mean, what is it a pretty long road to kind of get to where you're at now with this task force that you're on or yeah. that you're commander of? Where I'm at now, um, <clears throat> it's kind of funny cause I ended up at the task force. Um, and I didn't, I never really thought about going into the narc world. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, I was good being a, working on the street, being a patrol officer. Um, I was a Lieutenant in the patrol division at the time and that position came up and it was offered to me and I was like, you know what, that's be a good time to go do it. I was kind of getting a little bit burned out with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy I did it. Yeah. I was a little nervous at first. I didn't know I was going to go cause I never worked in narcotics, <laughs> you know? And then they're like, Hey, go run this, this task force. Yeah. Um, with all these different agencies and, and I was like, all right, here we go. So, mm-hmm. uh, I dove into it. It was a huge learning curve for me. I it's, was going to ask, what was the learning curve like? I mean, that's got this completely different world. Right? And it took me, um, so usually as, uh, task force commanders, you don't really work cases, mm-hmm. but I took on a ton of cases on my own cause I had to learn. Yeah. I didn't know what my guys were doing. Um, so I jumped into that and, um, I'm happy where I'm at now. I'm glad I did it. But that first year, two years was kind of nerve wracking, man. Yeah. It was, it was tough. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, gosh. Yeah. That seems, uh, I can't, yeah, my, my brain won't allow me to go there. It's, like, I don't even know what you guys do, but, uh, it doesn't seem like it would ever be easy. There, there's a lot of, um, for me, a lot of meetings. Yeah. I got to go to, um, and I'm not a huge fan of meetings, so, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we got to travel a lot. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes makes it hard on the family. Um, but I mean, it's, it's good. You guys about. do a lot of, uh, and I'm going to reach like hard Hollywood here. Okay. You guys do a lot of <laughs> like, whatever would it be called? Like joint task force. Like you work with the DA. Mm-hmm. Stuff like locally, like you yep. guys kind of, you know, partner up to, to yeah. work certain cases. So we have um, <clears throat> four agencies in the task force right now. Mm-hmm. We work a lot with DEA, um, ATF. We have Homeland Security in our task force. Okay. So we work with a lot of different different people. Um, and it's, you know, that's what makes us successful is we're able to pull all those resources together. Gotcha. And uh, go after the the big time criminals. 
Is there any, is there any like Hollywood type animosity between, between groups? Uh, there can be, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> like uh, the, the classic, like, oh, we're FBI, we got the, we're taking this, this crime scene over. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when they cross jurisdictions into other task force areas, I've seen it get a little tough out there. Yeah. Um, there's usually some words, but uh, it gets figured out in the end. <laughs> get, get it real quick. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, uh, so you're, you're doing is, is this kind of, are you planting your roots in this gig for a while or is there, uh, you know, aspirations to kind of take it to the next level, so to speak? Um, <clears throat> I think I'll probably be where I'm at for another few years. Um, I don't, I'm not really on a time frame of when I have to leave. Mm -hmm. I would like to get back to work in patrol. Um, obviously if I go back to patrol, I'd be a, a supervisor at that point and probably not actually get to work the street as much as I want to. Yeah. But I really did this to be more well-rounded and have a better understanding of law enforcement work in general. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I do end up going back to patrol or another division, like I'm just going to be that much better at my job, I hope, yeah. because I've, I've seen more. Um, one of the big things I had when I was on patrol is I didn't know what the narcs did. Um, and I think that that maybe hindered me a little bit as a patrol officer because okay. I didn't have the full picture of what was going on out there. And my supervisors didn't either. They'd never worked in that, that area too. So there's a lot of, um, I guess just a lot of unanswered questions about what was really going on with those guys. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'd, I'd like to take my knowledge of what I've been doing for the last several years and take that back to patrol and kind of help those guys understand a little bit. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, we work cases for two years at a time before we ever arrest anybody. Sure. Patrol, that's not the deal. It's like that guy broke the law. He's going to jail, <laughs> yeah. you know. And um, yeah. you know, they're they're gung ho dudes. That's what they want to do. Sure. They want to go clean up the streets. Yeah. And so it's hard for them to really <laughs> realize when they're like, "Dude, you have a case for two years and you haven't arrested this guy." Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the way it is, man. Like we're you got to build, build a good I'm, case. Yeah, I'm imagining you guys have to build it, you know, layer and layer and layer, and still to make a, um, you know, a, at least a substantial impact, right? Yeah. And and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here cause I, I probably am, but you know, it doesn't really necessarily make sense to probably snatch up Joe Schmo on the street. That's got a few pills, right? It would make sense to kind of follow that back to a much larger, you know, fish in that mm -hmm. pond. Correct. Yeah. We want to, we want to go for the big guys that are actually bringing it in. Yeah. Um, and you can see your work when you take down a big case and arrest a bunch of people, mm -hmm. you, you can see it in the community. You feel um, like you, you, because of the vacancy or yeah. I'd say like the, the void. Yeah. There's this void of, okay, who's going to bring in the drugs now? Somebody's going to pick that work back up again in a couple of months. Sure. But there's a few months where drug prices go up because mm -hmm. it's harder to find, you know, people are kind of scrambling right now. Um, and it, it's cool to see that happen. Yeah. But it, it sucks at the same time. Cause like I said, in two months, somebody else takes over and you're right back at square one, starting over a new investigation looking at a new organization mm -hmm. um, and it just it seems like it never ends. So what, I mean, what's the answer? Like what's the, you know, the way you look at it from the task force. I mean, it's, it just seems like it's just this vicious cycle, you know? And I mean, I mean, we've heard about the, the war on drugs for as long as both you and I have been alive. Mm -hmm. It's never stopped. It's never <laughs> going to stop coming over the border. It's never going to stop, you know, so what do we do to kind of better the situation? So, we, we got to regulate stuff a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of this stuff is coming up off the border, you know, regulate, but 
say we regulate fentanyl so much that nobody wants to mess with anymore because it's too scary to deal with the, you know. You mean as far as like changing it from like a, a class two, like making a class two felony or something? Yeah, like, like just right. bump, like all they're going to do is make a new drug at yeah. that point. And we've seen this over and over and over where one drug gets, you know, it's illegal now mm-hmm. and they'll tweak those drugs just a little bit. Those chemists will tweak those compounds a little bit, make a new drug that is not scheduled. So it's, it's not illegal at that yeah, point. It's not. Yeah. And those new drugs push through and they push hard. Um, and then they end up getting scheduled and you can't have them anymore. Yeah. But then it, it starts that cycle over again. So if we could figure out a way to kind of control that a little bit, we'd be doing pretty good because synthetic drugs are kind of the thing now. Yeah. You know, your weed, heroin, stuff like that, it's going away. Um, as far as, I mean, weed's here to stay. Sure. But as far as like, big drugs being trafficked. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, it takes acreage. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of land to do that. Same with heroin. You know, it takes, you got to grow crops to do sure. all that stuff. So they're starting to do these drugs like, like fentanyl that, I mean, we could press out thousands and thousands of pills in a day mm-hmm. in a room this size. Gotcha. You know, so, so they, it's easier to get to that economy of scale, Yeah, you know, and they can probably ship it easier. Than, Shipping super you know. easy. Um, so you got a small footprint and yeah, a lot of profit in it. Oh man. So we raise awareness. I mean, because I mean, obviously you guys are trying to, to hammer down on this and we're going to, we're <laughs> sorry, my daughter's laughing at the background. <laughs> uh, so we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to put regulations on this stuff, but like you said, it's going to, they're going to create another drug. Mm -hmm. So how do we get ahead of that curve? So a lot of it comes down to the communities. Yeah. Um, People got to say enough is enough. Sure. So, but it's one of those things people don't want to talk about. I still talk to people and maybe they live in a small community and they're like, yeah, that's a problem, but thank God it's not here. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you better look a little harder because it's, it's actually here. Sure. Um, it's not on the, the scale of Denver, Phoenix, LA. There's more people there. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be more drugs. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you got small communities that a lot of people just don't want to believe it's there. Mm-hmm. And they're just blown away. Like, you know, I'll do a presentation in a small community and they're like, was that like just to scare us or is that real? And I'm like, no, that's that's real. Yeah. yeah um, no, it's in your middle school. Yeah. No, it's, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in the middle schools. Yeah. You know, there, there's kids all over the state that are, they're overdosing in school, mm-hmm. in the bathrooms. Um, at home. Yeah. You know, we got to talk about this. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about drugs. You know, it's like talking about sex. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. We're not going to talk about it publicly. It's weird. Nobody ever does. Yeah. It's like, you know, (laughs) so, um, but yeah, that's just, we got to raise awareness and it's going to take the communities coming together and saying enough is enough. There's not enough cops out there to do that. Gotcha. So if we, if we put our foot down as a society, you know, or as a community, however we want to look at it and say, you know, we, we, we're not doing fentanyl, you know, we don't want it here. You know, we kind of put that wall, then that makes it harder for the manufacturers or distribution lines to distribute to our area. Right. Yeah. And so hopefully that mentality then grows larger and larger and larger. Right. Mm-hmm. And that makes, also, I mean, bring in some resources. You know, as far as, you know, if you're looking at, at recovery facilities, mm-hmm. um, there's not a whole lot in the big cities. Denver's got quite a few, Pueblo, Colorado Springs, Phoenix. 
but you look at these these smaller communities on the outside, they don't have resources for people to go to. Yeah. You know, if somebody wants to go to rehab, they got to get shipped out. Um, you're looking at a lot of money to do it too. Yeah. You know, yeah. the small communities just don't have that. Sure. They need inpatient facilities and they don't exist. So, yeah. you know, give the people the tools they need to fight these addictions too. You know, less users on the street, less people are buying their stuff. Sure. So less crime, less everything. Less, I mean, it, yeah. And I can, know. man, I mean, a lot of the crimes tie back to like property crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, everything ties back to drugs. It seems like, yeah. You know, I talk to people all the time and I'm like, dude, why'd you steal that shit? And they're like, I was high, bro. I've <laughs> never done anything like that in my life. But when I'm yeah. high, I just get sticky fingers. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and it's like, you know, the, the drugs tie back to all those other crimes and everything. And mm-hmm. crime still get rid of drugs. We're still going to have crime. Yeah. Like, absolutely. You know, we're, it's, we're going to have the assaults, everything like that. But, it would help a lot sure. if that wasn't a factor in all this. Yeah. I mean, it would be easier to, I think, map the source of the problem, right? Yep. You get rid of all the, the onesies, twosies, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, here's actually the real root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the facility thing real quick, um, you know, we touched on it very briefly, but, you know, there, there has been uh, a substantial amount of money appropriated towards um, trying to do a remodel of the old Denier facility in Southwest Colorado. And I was just talking to that commissioner the other day and you know, that would be good for that community. I think personally, now I know that it has a tax implication and it's going to hurt everybody's pockets and nobody ever wants to hear taxes are going to be increased. Well, I don't have a drug problem. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe your 13 year old doesn't now, but when he's 16, he could, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you know, I've kind of heard both sides of that conversation, but in my mind, even if we can't do, at the entire renovation, you know, at least having a section of it renovated so that way that it can capitalize on drug and alcohol abuse, mental health issues, and, uh, you know, youth like awareness or, you know, kind of a rehabilitation center for the youth specifically. Um, you know, not saying that if somebody's addicted, if they're no longer a youth or if they're, you know, 19 years of age or whatever, but, um, I do think that that would be a good situation because the, at least the way I read it, the slate, shows that that is not going to be a La Plata County facility. It will be a basically, and this is where it like, it kind of does get a little bit great, but it's supposed to support the region, Correct. which in my mind, I'm like, okay, is that the Southwest region? Is that Utah border, New Mexico border? You know, is that all the way over to Archuleta County? I think is like Pagosa area. You know, what does that cover? Because that's a lot of people, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I think La Plata County last I looked 57,000 people. So then let's look at Montezuma. Let's look at Archuleta. Uh, let's look at the Northern section of San Juan County. You know, um, you know, that could be a couple hundred thousand people and however much, you know, the demographic has that's, you know, has mental health issues or has uh, drug addiction problems, drug and alcohol abuse. And I mean, it could be a big deal, you know? So I'm trying to kind of get that, at least the conversation going about it. And I'm not saying I have the answers to it, but I think it's worth having a conversation with people like, look, this is going to have a tax impact on all of us, but will it be for the betterment of the community? You know, because I do, I do think in a sense that it could, it could be that it could be another barrier of entry, right? For the drugs to come in. So it's like, if we start to kind of correct and it has like this little microcosm and the tailwind of that, it's like, 
we have a problem now. This can help alleviate that problem. And then over here in the houses, we're, we're coaching our children and we're being open and upfront and honest with them. And all of a sudden we're tackling it from two different ends. Mm-hmm. And at least we have a fighting chance to kind of raise awareness and start to correct the problems that we already have day one, you know, because you're right. It's like, if somebody's going back to our first comment, it's like, if somebody's addicted and they die today and then their brother dies a year from now on their anniversary, like that person could have gone to that facility because he's probably deathly afraid or embarrassed to talk to his family or his friends, you know, because his brother's friends are his friends and all that, you know? So it's like, there's, there's this, you know, he's shamed about, reaching out because help because God damn it. He's too strong. You know, he's, he can beat this thing. Well, statistically speaking, no, you can't, you know what I mean? And so that's the problem. So it's like, if we would have had a facility like that, that person could have maybe gone there and got help in a more of a, an anonymous fashion, you know, and not had to feel embarrassed about it. And then you think about that, like the compounding impacts, like that guy goes and gets help. How many people could he then help? You know what I mean? And it's just like, so I, I would love to see something like that come in to, to the Southwest community because I do think that it would have a profound impact, you know? And it's um, much needed. Um, and the, the money side of that. So a lot of that funding came from Big Pharma getting sued. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of started the, the Oxy deal, all, all that stuff. They were over-prescribing, over, you know, maybe not marketing their drug like it was supposed to be marketed. You know, they got in trouble, they got sued. So all that money came in from them and it got divvied up. And so you're talking about maybe taxpayers paying a little bit more because people look at that number and they're like, wow, billions of dollars got awarded. Mm-hmm. That gets eaten up quick. Oh. That's, you can't, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some of these regions. So, it, you know, it got divvied up by region around the state and everything mm-hmm. like that. And when it comes down to it, I think La Plata County is going to get like, and don't quote me on this, but it's like $280,000 a year. Yeah. What, what's that going to do? Yeah, it's, That it's, probably won't even keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah. You it's, know? It's like, next to nothing. I mean, but it's, it's a good start. Yeah, it is. You it's know? something. Yeah. It's, we got We just need other people yeah. adding to that pot a little yeah. bit and you could actually get something pretty cool going. Yeah. Um, well, I do think that they got grant funding for like, and it wasn't a ton again, but it was like 1.2 million, which, you know, that's not going to do all the renovation by any means. Um, but it's like, okay, we've got this, how could we earmark? And then what could we do, you know, to, to get this? It, it, like what pisses me off so many times is like, everything has to go through like a vote, right? Especially if it's taxes and nobody ever wants to raise taxes. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want that. And I don't want my taxes to go up either. I work yeah. hard. I work hard for money. You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Nobody wants that. Right. <laughs> um, but, but it's like, I've, I've always felt like if, you know, if, uh, if the government, whether it be, you know, federal, state level, it doesn't matter. If they would just like open up the book and be like, all right, here we go. We've got roads, we've got health, and we're going to put a hundred, 200, 300, 7 million, you know, and like, just, <laughs> and just say, here's what we're doing. And this is exactly where your money went. I think people would be like, all right, you know what? You were open, you're honest. Cool. You know, because like, I think the thing that pisses people off is like, man, they paid $35,000 this year in taxes. And this damn road has had a pothole for seven years. You know, and that's how they kind of equate it. So it's like, I feel like if we could just be honest and say, I, I don't think people would bitch about taxes as much. They still would be like, I'm not paying for yeah. that shit. <laughs> you know, well, like, I don't even use that road. <laughs> man, when we're talking about recovery too, though, I mean, we got to get that stigma away from yeah. what's going on. Because um, like I said, there's a lot of people that think the world's just a better place without addicts. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? It is, but not when they're dead. Yeah. Like when they're recovered. Sure. When they're going through recovery, 
that's, that's what makes the world a better place. They still need to be here. They deserve to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we just got to, we got to break down that, that wall a little bit and get people to understand what's going on. Well, and, and I think people being uh, less ashamed of it, you know, and, and, um, I, I don't personally care whether anybody knows this about me or not, but, and I've said it on other podcasts, but you know, my father, father was a recovering drug addict, drug addict and alcoholic my entire life, like growing up. Um, that's not who I am probably because I saw maybe at times the way he was. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that for my spouse. I don't want to be that for my kids. I don't want to be that in the community. Um, and he's not a fuck up like at all. Like, um, and I love him to death, but the reality of it is, is, is that's what he was. And he'll be the first person to tell you, yep, got a 25 year patch or a badge or coin or whatever they give you. And I lost it. You know, I tipped the bottle up again. Thank God it never led to drugs, but I'm back in it. I'm back in the system. And I've seen that, that, you know, it's, it ebbs and flows, you know, and it's happened my entire life with him, but he's not afraid to say that, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to say that because it's like, you know, I think that going back to that stigma conversation is like people, people don't want to be associated with somebody else who has a problem. It -hmm. makes them look bad. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. And I will say this, there's a lot of people that I've wanted to have on this podcast that they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can come on there. Like I, it's just, maybe it's not the right fit. And I'm like, what's the real reality? Are you afraid that somebody's going to actually have to maybe know who you really are? Or you're afraid that you're, we're going to talk for more than five minutes. And then you finally start to calm down and settle into it. And you're going to say something that's real. And then the whole thing you've built in the public face is all gone because now you're talking real to me. It's the same, it's the same stigma in a different fashion that people don't want to say, okay, well, my father was an alcoholic or, you know, my best friend growing up, you know, he died of a drug overdose or, you know, and, but I think that if people are just blunt with it and they'll realize real fast that somebody else has dealt with that same exact thing. Like they've had a father that was an alcoholic or they've had a father that was a drug addict, you know, or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister. And so I think if people just stop, stop trying to hide from the truth, you know, even if they've messed up, even if they were the ones that used to be an addict, like you're not an addict. Like if you've, if you stopped and you're seeking help, like maybe you always have addictive tendencies. Sure. But like, you cannot let your past define you, whether that's you doing something directly or other people in your family that were close to you that did something directly, like it doesn't have to define you. And so I think getting back to that conversation of like, you know, just be open and truthful about what it is. And let's get past the stigma because yeah. these people do need help. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred percent. They need, they need fucking help, you know? Bad. And, and you said it earlier and it, it really did kind of strike with me because I've found myself when the, when these five people in my life had died by like the third one, I just started being like, no fucking saw that coming, you know? And like, it took me like a year to kind of get past that thought in my head and go, that was really fucked up, Kyle. Like, and I wasn't trying to, to not be there for them or something like that. I wasn't just trying to brush them off or, oh, there's just another addict. But it was like, in my head, I was like, well, I saw, yeah, saw that coming. It's like, why didn't I do something? You know, or why didn't the other people around that person do something? You know, so again, I think it's, nobody wants to be associated, right? Because mm-hmm. you feel like you're guilty by association all of a sudden. Yeah. And if you associate with a drug dealer, then you're a drug dealer, right? Or mm-hmm. you're a druggie. No, not necessarily. I'm a good guy. I'm just trying to protect this dude I've known for 10 years and he fell into the wrong path. Now he's freaking, you know, down at whatever bar selling cocaine. You know, he's a good person, but he's just fallen into a bad gap. 
you yeah. know? And so I think if people can really get around that, it would be better. It would be way better. Um, you know, people are worried about, you know, like you said, losing their jobs because maybe they had a shady past 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody fires you because you had a shady past 10 years ago, but you've been doing great since then, like you probably don't want to be there anyways. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go find somewhere else. Cause you're, yeah. something's going to happen at some point where you're going to be like, fuck this place. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just, and it's been uh, kind of cool over the last couple of years. Cause I really been out talking a little bit more about this. Um, but I've partnered up with some people in recovery to go teach some classes and do stuff. And I think it's kind of an eye opener for some of these groups because the cops are over here and the addicts are over here, mm -hmm. you know, and we're against each other and we, and that's not the case at all. Yeah. Um, and I think when people see us actually come together and try to do a presentation, whatever it is, you know, just, it's always around drugs, but, mm -hmm. um, they kind of see both sides of it and it, it changes the way they think a little bit on some of it. I think mm -hmm. that we can actually partner with them and, um, I'm not there just to throw them in jail. Yeah. They're, they're recovering, you know, uh, they're not actively breaking the law, sure. actively doing <laughs> drugs, but people still think that like, it's weird that the cop is pairing up with, yeah. with somebody in recovery. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's for the betterment of the, you know, it's, it's for the good of the cause. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, you, different circumstances, you may never have talked to that gentleman. Right. Yeah. But at the end, of, at the end result, it, some one person in that crowd could hear you guys talk and be like, Phew light bulb, you know what yep. I mean? So that's awesome. Um, so, so in your, in your opinion, how do we, how do we make the conversation or the topic of conversation more prevalent in the household? Cause you know, I, I kind of said it the other day and, and I was, you know, it was one of those things where most of the time in like a public setting, I'll hold my, I'll hold my breath. I'll sit, I'll listen and I don't talk. But in that specific meeting, and, and this was a little bit because there was a lot of stuff going on with, with, uh, with, let's just say the school board. Right. And I do still, and I will stand by this is that we in our, in our community, a lot of times are reactive versus proactive. And I said that in that meeting, um, and you had some things good to say about it. Some of the things we've talked about tonight, but the immediate like nose up in the air of some of those other parents in that room were like, it was again, like, well, we don't have that problem, but you don't have it today. Yeah. So how do we, how do we get that conversation going to where, where it starts at the family? Like how, how do we, how do we, in your thoughts, like how do we build that conversation because i i do going going back to it i do think that that is where this all starts no, no matter what it could have been 15 years ago it could have been from like a childhood incident something is happening that has led that's just sit there and like you said like it could have been something so long ago but it's compounded mm -hmm. and that's why that person like he didn't just wake up today as a 12 year old and go i want to do heroin tomorrow you know how do we start or how do we push along the conversation. Cause I feel like that's the biggest reason why I'm doing this podcast. Like not just this one, but all of them is to get the conversation of certain things that I find interesting or individuals or topics that I find interesting, get it out there to the public and get that thing spinning. So in your, in your thoughts, how do, how do we do that to where we get it in the minds of these parents and we, we get them okay with talking to their kids 
Yeah. Like, what do we, what do we do in your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, we, we got to make it a priority. You know, you talk about that meeting, um, a few months ago and how many families were there, <laughs> you know, it, the, that the, was the, the turnout, the turnout bummed bum me out a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've done presentations and stuff where only a handful of people showed up. I'm glad that I can get the word out there a little bit and mm-hmm. do that for the people that will show up, but we got to make this a priority. Yeah. Um, and it's awkward to talk about this stuff, especially with your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sitting there, you're like, okay, they don't know about drugs. Why would I tell them about drugs? You know, yeah. well, middle school, high school, they're going to be around it. Sure. You know, um, maybe not elementary school. It's probably a little early. Um, but you, man, you just got to start it early. Yeah. So like, you know, I just, when there's an opportunity for, when, when the school puts something out that says, Hey, look, drug task force is going to be here. They want to talk about drugs in our community. Mm-hmm. The drug task force isn't going there because they think that it's just going to be a fun sort of deal. And you know, it's going to like, we're there because there's a problem mm-hmm. and we got to get the word out and let people know. Um, we just gotta be blunt about it. Yeah. You gotta kind of just gotta rip the bandaid off and go for it. Sure. Um, I think the more of us that do that and kind of get the ball rolling on it, um, you know, I do a presentation for you. Maybe you go tell three or four of your friends Mm -hmm. next time I do one. Maybe at least we have three or four more families that show up Sure. instead of just three in total, four in total, (laughs) you know, maybe, you know, maybe after three or four presentations, I can get up to a crowd of 15, Mm -hmm. you know, like. Let's just keep doing this and keep the ball rolling and get the word out there. Yeah. Well, you know, and then, you know, that presentation. So, you know, we, our kids are younger, but we also know that eventually they're going to be in middle school, you know? So we went, um, and all the other families were, you know, they had kids that were older. Um, but you know, if, if some of the, if somebody's listening to this, I'll say, if, if you hear about one of these meetings, uh, whether, whether it's Joey presenting or somebody else presenting, you don't have to take your child to that meeting. Like you, you don't have to go sit down here and, you know, because maybe that's not the way that you want to teach your child, but you can go yourself and hear the brutal hard reality and see the photos and get a, a no frills bullshit answer from Joey and say, this is what it is. Cut and dry. Boom. Boom. It's like, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. And that's what I found in that, in that last presentation I saw. So if that parent, if you're listening to this, go to these meetings, hear the, the, you know, non sugarcoated version, and then go back and find the way to explain that to your child. But, but don't sugarcoat it so much to where it doesn't have an impact. Right. Um, especially, you know, if, if, you know, you have a, a family that doesn't talk about that kind of things, doesn't mean that your kid's not going to be in front of it in the next year or two or three, you know? And so, um, I think that might be a good option for, for some people, you know, if they feel like, well, I don't want my kid to see, I don't know what he's going to present. What's going to be on the screen. You know, none of us do, but the reality of it is that's, that's what it is, you know? Yep. Well, I mean, my ultimate goal is actually getting into the schools and talking to the students themselves. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking to a ton of schools. They're on board. They want to do it, but how do we do that? Um, they obviously you mean legally like no it's more of we got to target an audience right mm-hmm. so you want to go to a high school that has 1200 students is a gym assembly going to be appropriate yeah probably not the kids aren't going to pay attention it's going to be chaos and the kids that probably need to be there 
aren't going to show up. They're going to ditch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I've been working with them of like, how do we get this, this message out there to them? Um, I mean, you know, it's not a program that's going to be as blunt as what I would give to parents mm-hmm. or, um, or staff. I've done a ton of stuff with staff at school districts. Um, but you know, can we work that into a health class? You know, what does that look like? Can I come in two days out of a semester yeah. and just spend time with these kids in the health classes and, and kind of tell them what's really going on? Mm-hmm. Cause the problem is only going to get worse. You know, we're, we need to brace ourselves for what's going yeah. on. Is the school districts, are they kind of embracing that? Some of them are. Yeah. Um, some of them want to act like they're never, there's no drugs on the planet. Man, I mean, some of the, some of the <laughs> teachers do drugs too. So, you know, like they got to, you know. I swear, <laughs> I swear in middle school, I, I went to a party I probably not should have been at. And I swear to this day, one of our teachers was, was definitely smoking pot. And it, it may not have been her, but it, it really looked like her. And I was too young to be there. So I was like, you know, hanging out with way older kids. And, and I was in the corner like, oh, my God, they're drinking beers, you know. But uh, it was one of those ones like walking back. Like, I saw you. Pretty sure you were smoking. Pot, you know? so, yeah. I mean, but, you know, pot's irrelevant anymore. But, you yeah. Know, so. I mean, we've. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's just you got to get got to get the word out there. And I'm actually working with one smaller school um, that. They're actually gonna let me come in and spend a couple of days with the kids oh, wow. in one of their classes, and it's kind of be going to be the trial run to see mm-hmm. how it goes. Yeah, um, and I kind of want to push that out a little bit more, just kind of let these kids know what's going on out there. Yeah, you know, we um, it it blew me away at a young age. We had um, a, a juvenile overdose, and it was fatal. And it didn't seem to slow the kids at the high school down with what they were doing. Like we're looking at their Snapchats and everything after that. Like they're just blasting stuff out there. And it's like, why didn't that, you'd think at that younger age. Yeah, it would have hit. It would kind of hit because they are still kind of in that experimental phase. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them it definitely had a huge impact and turn it around. Mm -hmm. But had I been able to educate those kids a little bit before that incident happened, would they have overdosed? You know, I don't think they would have. Sure. But they didn't know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, you know, we get a ton of accidental overdoses. That's not just people like purposely taking a drug and maybe they think it's something else and it's not. I mean, all over the state, man, we're talking about one-year-olds picking up pills off of a floor in a hotel room. Yeah. And overdosing. You know, um, there's, and it happens a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Can we get, obviously, I can't educate like a one-year-old, but maybe a middle school if they find something like that, you sure. know, can we kind of, like you're talking about, how do we get this conversation rolling Yeah, to where we can help prevent some of this stuff? Yeah. Well, I think it'd be good too. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I think it would be more receptive uh, from somebody like yourself. And I, and I, I mean this in no negative way at all, but you're not, you know, uh, you know, like a blue shirt cop, you know, you're not coming in with, you know, and, and like dressed to the nines, like mm-hmm. it's almost like plain clothes, you know, you've got some tattoos, you got a beard. And I think kids do see that and they go, all right, cool. Take a breath of fresh air. Like, you know, he's not, he's not going to pull me over and give me a speeding ticket this afternoon. So I think it, it, it would have a better chance to not fall on deaf ears if it's by someone like yourself or, you know, somebody else in your task force that kind of have a, has a look about themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying you look like a dirt bag, but um, you know, I do think that kids are more receptive if somebody that 
they can kind of more or less align themselves with, right? That doesn't seem like a parental figure, but somebody that's respected. Um, but it's like, okay, you know, this, this guy, you know, I, I can, I can relate to him in some sort of fashion, right? That, and it could just be like a mental image to somebody, but that is a big, that is a big deal. Um, going back to the, the comment real quick about the, the larger schools. Um, so I moved to Colorado in 1997 or eight, something like that. And so when I left Northern Louisiana, uh, the each grade, so my seventh grade class had a thousand students. We were like a four or five A school or something like that. So I think the actual high school at that time, had I gone there, was closer to five thousand between all the grades. And um, you know, it was wild. Like I, I am, I still feel like I'm absolutely blessed that I, I got out of the scenario, and it was so weird. It was a classic, you know, ski trip. We came up in March and. We were here in June or something like that. It was classic Colorado bullshit trip, some yep. you know Southerner with a twang. <laughs> uh, but you know, we we ended up here, and I think we moved here. It was probably, guys. So it was eighth grade. So I would have been you know thirteen, fourteen years old. But I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and um, when I so the first time, and I'll just I'm not afraid to admit this because I, I got past it, and I'm thankful. The first time that I did acid. I was 13 years old. I was still in Louisiana. I was at a party I shouldn't have been at. I was hanging out with some older kids. They were all neighborhood kids. We rode bikes at one time. And now somebody gets a driver's license and, you know, and all, you know, and he's hanging out with older kids and inevitably I'm there. And I think about that, that time, like, and I think about my kid three years from now, I think about his 10 year old kid. And I was, I had no business a doing that but I was still so young to be doing a drug like that. And I'm very thankful that not only did it not alter my mental state to a point to where I couldn't recover, uh, but I'm also thankful that there, very shortly thereafter, I moved to a small rural town in a community where that wasn't acceptable or it wasn't prevalent because I, I do personally think that because of the people I was hanging out with, I would have gone down a wrong path. Not because I wanted to, but almost by mistake. And so I think that going back to that situation of talking to a, a, you know, a school of 1,200 or a class of 1,200, you got to do it in a microcosm, right? Like we're not in a vacuum here, but you've got to do it to 10 or 15, 20 parents, 20 kids. And that will hopefully, maybe not all 20 of those, do the right thing and go tell their neighbors. And all of a sudden it just has this huge compounding impact. But um, I think that starting much smaller uh, will will absolutely have a, a huge impact, in my personal opinion. Um, and I and as a weird way of looking at this, I, I think starting in more of a rural setting will have a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just having experienced that personally, like when when I moved um, to Colorado, like it was so great. It was like a breath of fresh air to like I almost got to like start over because I literally did. I had to meet all new friends and everything, but it was like. I got to be a new version of me and a version of who I was not with these kids that I rode bikes with for years and were, you know, <laughs> just doing, just doing <laughs> stupid shit at 13 years old, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that, you know, I got through it, moved here, but I feel like on, from a personal standpoint, I think that the impact on the rural communities, like you, you have a chance to stop it. I mean, I'm going to stop it, but at least get the conversation out there to where mm-hmm. it's, very well known. You know, it's not just, we're not hiding around it, you know? So 
That's yeah. awesome, man. I hope that these schools really work with you. And yeah. it'd be good. And like with parents and stuff, man, like for the parents out there that are interested in having somebody like me mm-hmm. come out and talk, like you can literally call your local police department and be like, hey, do you have a drug task force? Not everybody does. Yeah. You know, are you part of a drug task force? You know, if you are, can I talk to somebody there? I want some public education on this. Mm-hmm. And some parents are really good at organizing that stuff. You know, they have um, with Facebook groups and everything like that, like they can kind of help that yeah. happen a little bit. And maybe we get a few more people there. So, I mean, if anybody wants a presentation and wants to know what's going on in their community, mm-hmm. call your local PD and ask for somebody like me. Yeah. Like um, it, that. that's changed a lot with all the NARC groups. Um, there's somebody out there that's willing to come out and talk. Sure. Um, and maybe they don't have somebody in their unit that can do it, but they'll find somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, if you get a hold of me and you live in Utah or something like that, like I, I got connections. I can find somebody to come sure. talk to your community. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, so. it, you hit on something really quick there and I just want to talk about it. So, you know, that, that, I won't call it a convention, but that, that presentation that you did, it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of people there, but I think that that was because it was not publicized in the right manner. Right. Like a hundred percent. We found out about the day of, and yeah. I was like, what, where, where do I go? So we go, people that told us about it didn't even go because something else came up and they couldn't make it. So it's like going, going back real quick, you know, people are great about making Facebook groups. So if you get a hold of somebody in your community that that's willing to come and talk, um, I mean, I think you owe it to yourself. Cause I think that the more people are there, the more questions that are going to come up. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's there and you're a little bit afraid to ask in a public setting and you know, somebody else chances are thinking along the same lines. Yeah. And so I think if you, if, if you're hearing this, you know, and you've got this speaker coming in, you, you would be doing yourself and your community a disservice if you didn't start up a little Facebook group or tell as many people as you can, because the school systems, they're, they're overwhelmed as it is. They're not going to, they might put it on their Facebook. I don't follow a school system's Facebook. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't follow our town's Facebook cause it's garbage, you know, and I love people and I, I, I'm on, on boards with the town, but they also do other things. They don't have time to do this Facebook thing. So it's like, you know, the, the mothers and the fathers and the sisters and brothers, like that's, they need to, promote that for yourself. If you've got a guest speaker coming in, especially to talk about things like, like fentanyl and the problems that are, that are real. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And it's, you know, my presentations, it's not just the drugs that are here. It's the signs of drug use. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, cause there's people that come up to me and they're like, you know, somebody overdosed and died and they come up they're like, I just didn't see it coming. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself looking at this case and I'm like, how did you not see this coming? Sure. You know, and it's because they just don't know. Yeah. They don't know what to look for. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely worth <clears throat> the little bit of education. And if you want to listen to me talk and you think I'm full of shit, then okay, that's fine. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Like <laughs> some people, I'm just yeah. not going to change their minds. So, yeah. um, well, but, I would say don't, you know, don't, don't go into these conversations, you know, trying to be one-sided about it or be a know-it-all. Like, you know, we should be going to these conversations wanting to have an open discussion. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a right, wrong. It's damn sure not blue or red. It's not an election. There is an issue and you, you know, you owe it to yourself and everybody around you to like not go in and be the smartest guy in the fucking room. Just shut up, listen, and then come back like in kind and say, you know, okay, well here, here's this. And you know, how, have you had this happen? And, and chances are that speaker is going to have more real life experience than anybody else 
in that presentation, you know, group. So, you know, don't go into it wanting a fucking argument. I well, hate that's that's garbage. Man, and I learn a ton when I do them. Yeah. Like, especially like you're talking the, the big groups, a lot of really good questions come up. Sure. And there's sometimes like somebody's like, hey, I saw this. You know, I did a presentation for the, for the Navajo Nation. Hmm. Um, and I don't, it's not my area. I don't work down there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just through that conversation, through those questions, they're telling me stuff they're seeing down there that we haven't seen yet in our area. And I'm like, I haven't seen that yet, but it's coming. Yeah. Now I can keep my eye out for it, you know? Um, so I learned as much at those things than, than people learn from me. So sure. it's, <laughs> it's always good to go, um, and, and get that stuff done. So yeah. what was, um, what was that thing? Uh, I don't I, you know, I, I'm probably going to butcher it, but, uh, Oh God, Joey, what was it? Narcan, mm-hmm. Narcan. And so yep. you were talking about that. Do you want to, you want to uh, expand on that a little bit? Like what that is, what yeah. that can do. So, um, um couple different forms of Narcan. There's a, a nasal spray and then there's like the injectable and you find that on EMT bus and at the hospital. That's really where that's used at, but it's a great tool. All of our patrol officers carry it on them. Um, it gets deployed all the time on a daily basis mm-hmm. and it saves lives. What is it? What, what does it do though? So it'll actually, if somebody is, um, has an opiate overdose, it'll reverse that overdose. It, it's supposed to, it doesn't always work hundred percent of the sure. time. It kind of depends on how much that person ingested, how long since they overdosed. Um, but it'll actually reverse that process and it happens quick. You know, if, if you're going to use Narcan on somebody, it happens pretty quick. It brings them back fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen it used where I was 100% positive people were dead. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're sitting up talking to me and I'm like, holy shit. Um, it's like you're talking to a ghost sometimes. Yeah. You know? And um, so there's there's a lot of weird stigma around that too. You know, it comes back to why are we saving the dirt bags? Yeah. You know? And it's like, man, if um, a few more people were on board with it, mm-hmm. You know, we could save a lot more lives. Can you that, buy it over the counter? Or? Buy it over the counter. You can get it at pharmacies. Kind of depends on where you're at, what state mm. you're in, or like that. Um, a lot of places in Colorado, the health departments have programs. They get funding for that stuff. They hold events. Mm. They'll just go hand that stuff out. Gotcha. Um, I helped with an event last week. It was for um, hotel staff mm-hmm. and restaurant staff managers, owners, because yeah. um, that stuff happens a lot in the hotels and the restaurants. Um, and it's free. They just hand it out. Stuff's expensive. So if you get your hands on it for free, yeah, take advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, so when they, when they kind of come back around, all I can think about right now is like that Tarantino flick where he like stabs that chick in the heart. So, uh, the fact that it's a nasal spray, that's pretty, that's a lot better than jabbing somebody in the heart. Uh, they'll still come up sometimes swinging. Really? Um, Yeah. So people, it kind of, it's, you're probably going to react to it different than I would react to it, you know? Um, Some people just come up and wake up and they're fine. And then some people just come up and they're swinging. So it kind of goes both ways with it, um, but it's safe to use. You know, if you were to administer it on somebody that maybe you thought overdosed on an opiate Mm -hmm. and they didn't, you're not going to hurt them by administering it. Okay. Okay. and a lot of people are using it, family members, so they know that they have a loved one that's got a problem that they're dealing with. Um, they carry it in their cars, carry it in their purses, always have it on them. 
they're starting to push all this stuff through the schools now um, for the staff to hang on to. Mm-hmm. So all the staff has access to it just in case something happens during school. Sure. It's just a matter of time. It, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so great tool, great drug. It, it, it works. So is there, is there a, like a, a period after you administer the Narcan as to when you need to get this person to a hospital? Yeah. It's so, not like you're, you're not just done overdosing right after the nasal spray. No. And okay. pretty much what happens is, um, you go into immediate withdrawal. Okay. So what happens though, is if you have a lot of fentanyl in your system, um, that Narcan will wear off and you potentially can overdose again within 60 to 90 minutes. Oh Jesus. Okay. All right. So it's really important. A lot of people, like I told you, we talked to a lot of people that say they overdose five to 10 times in a year. They never went to a hospital. Yeah. You know, um, they don't have to mm-hmm. cops, EMTs, they can administer Narcan to an adult in the state of Colorado. And that person doesn't have to go to the hospital. Gotcha. You know, obviously if it's a juvenile, it's gonna be a little different. We're going to take them to the hospital, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's it's really important for those people that have friends going through this, family going through this. If they overdose, use Narcan on them. You can't get them to go to the hospital. You don't leave them alone. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm for probably a couple of days. Like you want to be with them. Okay. And the withdrawals too is they're horrible. You know, it's just you know, it's painful to watch. I've never been through withdrawals, mm-hmm. um, but from what I'm told, these fentanyl withdrawals are it's like having the worst flu of your life and times in that by 10 yeah. and having it for a week. Yeah. I can imagine. And there's one way to fix it quick. Take more drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's you know? always the answer, right? So that's, these, these people <laughs> got to be monitored. You know, you got somebody yeah. that, that falls out on you. Yeah. Keep an eye on them. That's crazy. So, I mean, 60 to 90 minutes, but you, you know, worst case scenario, if you do have to administer Narcan, you've got some time, you know, you can call the EMT paramedics, mm-hmm. get somebody there. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, I would, it seems like that's kind of next step administer. Don't like wait and be like, so how was your evening? Yeah. You know, administer call. Um, God, that's just, and yeah, that's the big thing is like, there, there's the debate of, do you call law enforcement or not just law enforcement? You call 911 first and mm-hmm. then administer, do you administer and then call 911? Like yeah. probably administer it really quick. Cause it yeah. takes two seconds to get it done. Call 911. And then if you got to give them another dose while you're on the phone with 911, wait for EMTs, you can. But um, yeah, that's a big thing. Like, what's the, what's the thought there? I think you touched on it in that um, that conference. But you know, if you call the police, is that person that took those those drugs are they subject to you know penalties? No. So there's a Good Samaritan law. Okay. In Colorado, so um, if they are. Even the person that calls it in, um, you can't be charged for possession. Okay. So it's kind of, and that, that law has been around for a long time. You know, a lot of it was around alcohol poisoning with college kids for forever. Mm-hmm. And that's what people think about that law, but it's actually for drug overdoses that people are directly involved in it. Gotcha. Um, and that's important for a lot of people to know because there's a ton of these people that, that overdose and Somebody was there with them. Yeah, their buddy could have saved them. Like, oh God, no, I'm going to jail. Yeah. Like, so, that, what does their buddy do? They clean up all their stuff and they haul ass. Mm-hmm. And and then, I mean, I don't know what that buddy's going through the rest of their life. It's got to be horrible, yeah. knowing that they probably could have saved their friend and they just bailed. Mm-hmm. Happens every day, man. Yeah. You know, so stick around, help out your friend. Yeah. Call. You know. You call. Can, I mean, you 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 know, 
yeah, you might get a slap on the wrist from your dad or something, but I mean, Hey, your buddy's yeah. going to survive and you're not going to get hit with possession. I mean, well, that's, and that's one of the caveats to it is you have to remain on scene mm-hmm. and you have to cooperate with law enforcement. Sure. But I mean, it, people look at like cops are there. We just want to jam people up. Like that's mm-hmm. changing. Yeah. Like we go to an overdose. We're not looking to jam a bunch of people up. Sure. I can tell you what, if I find the dealers that gave that person that fatal drug, yeah, I'm going to jam them up. Yeah. But the actual people, the addicts, the users, like we're not there to jam them up because sure. they overdosed. You know, that's the last thing we want to do. We're, we're in the business of saving lives. That's awesome. So, I think people needed to hear that. That was like, that was like, <laughs> boom, nail in the coffin. Hell of a good episode right there. That was, yeah, that's, that's a yeah. big deal though. That's, you're right. People are afraid, you know, mm-hmm. they, uh, I mean, but to know that, you know, you, uh, there is a good Samaritan law and I, I wasn't aware of it probably because I'm not a drug addict, but, um, you know, it, that's, that's big, you mm-hmm. know, don't be afraid to call. I mean, you're not going to jail, you know, and I mean, yeah, that's huge, man. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I saw the good Samaritan law going effect when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, one of my buddies, alcohol poisoning, you know, <laughs> uh, it wasn't drugs or anything like that, but you know. We, we called it in and he went to the hospital, got a stomach punked, all that, but we didn't get in trouble by mm-hmm. the law. Yeah. I mean, our parents weren't very happy. Yeah. You know, but they got over it. They still love uh, everybody gets over you know? it. Yeah, it's fine. So, yeah. um, and you know, he's, he's around today. So yeah, it, it was worth it. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh. It's uh, yeah, man, it's just that. And even people that have, a lot of people are like snitches get stitches, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, there's t-shirts about it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of people out there that have gone to prison because their, their friends turned them in for, for dealing or whatever. And they're like, you know what, that, that dude saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. I spent five years in prison. I did. And that sucked, but I still love that person mm-hmm. because they saved my life. Sure. You know, they're yeah. like, I was going down a bad road. Um, you know, people look at, TV, Hollywood with the cartels and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I'm going to, yeah, it could happen, but sure. it, it doesn't really happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things of, um, if you see something, report it. Sure. You know, there's ways, um, for people like me that work in, in the narc world that we can, we can take some anonymous tips. Sure. You know, just maybe pointing us in the right direction. I don't need all your info, but maybe I'm not aware of a huge distribution house. Sure. Absolutely. So if you are, call it in real quick. Be like, hey, might be worth keeping an eye on this. I don't want to give you anything else. Mm -hmm. If you'll at least give us that, you know, we can help kind of knock these organizations out of these communities. Yeah. That's the, that's the big thing, you know? Yep. Get it out of the communities is going to help, man. So. Well, Joey, thank you so much. Absolutely, like this man. was, uh, me. this was a good episode. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, maybe we can, uh, have it again in a year or so. Definitely follow up on it yeah. and see where it's going. We can talk about shrooms next year. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> see how much of an impact that's had on our taxes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Joey. Come talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, man. Are you listening? Damn. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh.